This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, May 12th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. The corporate media lied that the 2020 riots around America were fiery, but mostly peaceful. Americans watched in horror as places like Portland, Seattle, and Kenosha burned as radical leftists swarmed the streets. Through it all, there was one journalist who braved the mobs. Julio Rosas is the author of the new book, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. He joins the show to discuss his book and reveal the truth that the media won't tell you about the 2020 riots. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Julio Rosas, let's hit our top news stories of the day. Inflation is down, but don't celebrate just yet. The Labor Department reported that the consumer price index for inflation dropped to 8.3% from its high of 8.5% in March. However, that slight decline comes with a few caveats. The report had a few warning signs that high inflation isn't going anywhere. Prices for groceries and restaurants, as well as new cars, airline travel, and apartment rentals all rose. Airline fares, for example, shot up 18.6% in April, marking the fastest rise on record. It's not just the Supreme Court justices who are having their homes protested anymore. Pro-abortion activists made their way to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's private home in San Francisco on Tuesday, accusing Democrats of being complicit in the likely repeal of Roe v. Wade. Here's some of what that sounded like via Storyful News. Pelosi has previously been supportive of the protests surrounding the leaked document, suggesting that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. On Monday, Pelosi said, While we have seen and heard extraordinary anguish in our communities, we have been moved by how so many have channeled their righteous anger into meaningful action, planning to march and mobilize to make their voices heard. But not all Democrats have been as enthusiastic about those protests. During a Wednesday interview with CNN, Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, said that protesters showing up to the private homes of sitting Supreme Court justices crossed a line. Durbin said, I think it's reprehensible. Stay away from homes and families of elected officials on the court. To go after them in their homes, to do anything of a threatening nature, and certainly anything violent, is absolutely reprehensible. A Catholic cardinal has been arrested in Hong Kong. Now the White House is calling for his release. Hong Kong's National Security Police arrested Cardinal Joseph Zen and several others on charges of colluding with foreign forces to the detriment of China's national security. White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre called on China and Hong Kong officials to immediately release those who have been unjustly detained and charged. The cardinal is 90 years old and has long been outspoken in his criticism of China. The arrest comes just a few days after Hong Kong's new chief executive, John Lee, was selected. Lee is a former security chief. The cardinal's arrest is the latest in a crackdown on pro-democracy advocates in Hong Kong 
led by China. America has just broken a very grim record. New data released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Wednesday estimates that more than 107,000 Americans died last year of opioid overdoses, a record high. In other words, that means roughly one American overdoses and dies every five minutes. That statistic also means that since 2001, more than a million Americans have died from drug overdoses. Drug overdose fatalities rose 15% over 2020, and in 2020, it's estimated that 93,655 people died. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Julio Rosas as we discuss the 2020 riots. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to politics and policy. Plus, we bring you an exclusive interview with a problematic lawmaker or conservative activist every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also problematic on social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram. My guest today is Julio Rosas, senior writer at Town Hall and author of the new book, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. Julio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Doug. I am very excited to have this interview because this was a topic that I think was completely botched by the mainstream media, and it affected so much about how we viewed their coverage of these types of events, but it also viewed how we were trusting this coverage of like kind of things in general. So you were at a lot of these riots that happened back in 2020. Can you paint us a picture of what most of these riots looked like? Well, for the riot portion, because um, because usually when it comes to these things, so overall it's a very fluid situation. Just just no matter what, especially because we have lots of people out and and they're they're emotional, right? Think a lot of things can happen, and so so there were protests, and you know that it's kind of one of the things. Like, what about the peaceful protests? Like, no, like no, there were, but and this is what you were alluding to earlier is that there were also riots, and so so with riots, um, it was very it was. I mean, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And, you know, I grew, with my background growing up in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, uh, where that's where Wheaton College is at, mm-hmm. um, suburbs, 45 minutes out of Chicago, it, you know, it was great. Like, it was good life in, in terms of that because, you know, it's not like we're in a third world country. But when it came to when places like Minneapolis, and Minneapolis today uh, for me is like the worst Riot I covered in terms mm. of scale, in terms of damage, in terms of just chaoticness. Because what 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 I what I talk about in the book actually at the, at the very beginning was I I had covered uh, Antifa Proud Boy face offs in in Portland, right in Portland, Oregon, and that doesn't really that's not necessarily a riot per se. It's just mm. like a giant street brawl. But the, you go a couple blocks away and everything's like just kind of going at, kind of going normal. But with like Minneapolis, for example, I had to figure out oh wait. Um, so I flew in from Los Angeles because that's right. where I was staying during the COVID lockdowns. I, I I was thinking, oh wait, I had to figure out how am I going to get from the airport to my hotel, and how am right. I going to get from the hotel down to South Minneapolis, which is kind of the epicenter was for everything. 
And so I had a I hit up a local contact, and he, you know, I had a friend, and he helped pick me up. And it, 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 but it just even as something as simple as what we considered a normal society of like, oh yeah, if you go to an airport, there's gonna be you have public transportation with like a taxi, Uber. Or it, it, there was none of that. Really, N- there was there was nothing mm-hmm. running because everyone just didn't was scared. Everyone didn't. I mean, by by the time I got there, that was day three right. uh, of riots. You know, it, things calmed down during the day, but then at night things turn up, and so people were really just kind of bracing and preparing for that Thursday night. And the Thursday night that that I was there, that's when the Minneapolis Third Police Precinct was ordered to be evacuated and was set on fire. Um, and so, and so, really, uh, overall, the, the, when when riots happen, it's just it's just a free for all. Mm-hmm. Now, you you were there, like I said. So, could you maybe like talk to us about that night that the the precinct was burned down? I mean, you were there. I'm assuming you felt the flames. You felt all this stuff. Yeah. Like, what what was that like? It, it it was so. I mean, like I said, I had never seen police officers run. And, and and it wasn't even because they necessarily wanted to. I'm I'm sure some did, but they were they were. We later found out that they were ordered to by by the mayor Jacob Fry, and and, and you can imagine. Uh, so so the kind of the, the so George Floyd died on Sunday. The video went viral that Monday, the following day, and then um, that very first day went. You know, people were protesting and and rioting. I mean, literally that that first day outside the police precinct. So for that entire week, a lot of the anger and a lot of the Action and rioting was taking place at the uh, precinct, and, but so at, but as time went on and, and people realized, like, oh, we can start getting away with whatever we want because all the police in this area are holed up in this building because they're being preoccupied. That's when it started to kind of spread out. So that Thursday, it really reached a fever pitch. I mean, they were really they were. Uh, I really wish I got it on video, but people were shouting to burn the police station with the officers still inside. I mean, they wanted to to kill these officers. Mm. And it, it quickly became very untenable for them to hold their position because not only was the front uh, portion of the police station breached, but also the back portion. And and and, and actually, we later found out that uh, they couldn't open up the gate mm. for when, for for to let the vehicles out when they were because someone had like uh, just like jammed it, or so they literally so when they had to when they were getting their vehicles out, they just had to uh, bash the gate out. I mean, th- I mean, that's how dedicated these rioters were to, to try to kill these guys. Um, but I mean, it, it, you could just feel the jubilation within the, the BLM crowd once they realized that their actions were really having an, a, their desired right, effect to right. at, a, at a minimum push the cops out of the area. And they, and, and they did. And, and, you know, they went, as soon as the cops left, I mean, that there was, there was no, Law enforcement presence at all after that point, and it it, it invigorated them. It, mm-hmm. They 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 said that they wanted to go to the fifth police precinct, which was uh, a straight shot down uh, west about two, two to three miles, so that they could burn that police. I mean, they 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 were just so happy yeah. <laughs> at that at that moment because they they were really tr- like trying to accomplish of this kind of revolution that they that they wanted. And, you know, when we talk about abolishing the police, I'm like, well, that kind of already happened. Mm-hmm. And, and it was absolutely disastrous in Minneapolis. And even to this day, and, you know, again, talk about it in the book in the aftermath, like it, it was very, very devastating for, for that, especially South Minneapolis. I'm curious if you were able to interact with some of the rioters. So I, I have a sort of a two-part question. One, did you talk with any of the rioters? Did they 
were they willing to speak with you? And then two, we've seen in certain circumstances where reporters for conservative outlets are recognized mm-hmm. by you know some of these people of the leftist persuasion, right? Like Antifa will generally recognize Andy No when he goes out and does coverage, and they'll try and even people who aren't Andy No, they'll still, exactly. they'll still harass because <laughs> they're because yeah. they're racists, right? Right. But were you ever recognized by any of these rioters and pursued? So it's kind of tricky. You uh, obviously, I do want to get people's perspective on. Hey, why are you right? <laughs> why are you writing? But uh, obviously, the, the next question is, well, who are you with? And it's, it's kind of hard to say, well, I'm from Town Hall, and right. I go on Fox News every once in a while, so please talk to me. Uh, so I, I, in those hectic – well, even in, even in like a hectic situation like a riot, it is hard just to talk to anybody right, right. because they're too busy rioting. <laughs> and, and in which case, that's fine with me because I'll just film that. Uh, but in terms of getting recognized, uh, no, I, I wouldn't – especially at the very beginning because – I had only been on Fox News once prior mm-hmm. prior to that, um, so that that's kind of that was kind of the benefit of, of starting out with not, not having a super large following already, not being like an Andy No off off the bat. I like I, I covered some Antifa, some Proud Boy stuff prior to that, but um, I mean I covered Charlottesville mm-hmm. back in 2017 during that whole uh, hot mess. But but even back then, my coverage uh, at least on Twitter didn't gain that much traction because like my following was way 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 smaller. But it, I, covering covering Charlottesville like really solidified my desire to cover these types of events. That's that's why I started going there in the first place. But uh, I was I always joke that I, I'm glad that ma- mask wearing was a thing because I would always just cover up my face as, as time went on and I was starting to you know my my tweets would go viral and, and my, you know people my people were reading my stories uh, and going on Fox News a lot more. I mean, there's literally one point where I was on Fox News every night for a week and actually I had to say no to them on the last day of that Friday because I, I had already like, look, I need a break. Like, <laughs> I, like, my, like, uh, that was probably like my worst interview because like my mind was just like so melted from, right, from, right. from everything. But um, so I haven't been recognized in a bad way. I have been accosted once or twice, but it wasn't because they recognized me. They just saw that I was a reporter. So uh, they were attacking reporters. They didn't even care if it was a right, left, or center reporter. Yeah, and and it was just. I mean, th- that's the thing. Even if you're, even if you're someone like CNN, I mean, as a garbage news outlet that is, people still. I mean, that's not just people on the right. A lot of people on the left also hate CNN. Right, right, right. And and um, the, the the example that comes to mind with that was with Brooklyn Center in 2021 after the Dante Wright situation. Uh, uh, the 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 I can't remember her name, but the female CNN reporter, she was being accosted and like heckled by, by and, and oh, and their their camera, their, yeah, their, their yeah. security guy got hit in the head with a frozen water bottle and knocked him out. So I mean, and this is why I don't. And this is what's so confusing about why the media, the rest of the mainstream media, coddles and like excuse makes excuses for left wing writers and BLM. Is like, they're not your friends either. Right, they, right. Like, they will attack you just as easily as they'll attack someone like me or some of my, my, my colleagues. So it's not the fact that even if they're attacking you, you then portray them in an unfair light. It's just you show what's happening. Right. What, what's happening. And, that, and that's that's what I did and that's what a few others did. And obviously they didn't like us for that because right. we were showing what they were actually up to and what they were doing. But it, it's then, okay, so especially if they're going to attack you, so you should definitely tell the truth of what's going on. But right. then, like the title of the book, you know, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, CNN ran in Kenosha. 
it's just I I don't know why I, I it's just I think it's just because they really believe that the ends justify the means when it comes to that type of coverage. Right. I want to kind of focus on one city in particular, and again, cards on the table. We talked about this a little bit beforehand. I. I'm from Portland, Oregon, so when I was watching this coverage, it really hurt me because yeah. I recognized a lot of the places that were getting destroyed. Did you have the opportunity in writing this book to talk with some of the other residents of these cities, maybe Portland in particular, who just said, I don't know what's going on. What is happening? Why is my city on fire? Yeah, yeah. Uh, over, over the course of uh, over the course of during my coverage of the riots, and then months afterwards when I went back to like Minneapolis and Kenosha, but with Portland specifically, I mean, I talked to one gentleman, and he he his his business was located uh, right across the street from the Immigration Customs Enforcement uh, Station, which is mm. a, which is a very common target for the local Antifa groups there, and so because. You know, the ICE officers and the Federal Protective Service, they, they protect the building. So, yeah. so yeah. because after the initial attack, they then get pushed back. And so then they start kind of damaging other property that's left unguarded. And so his place has been broken into before windows have been uh, smashed. And he told me, I mean, he just he was just so beat down from everything because that, that was like, like I said, that was a far from the first time that – uh, he had to be out there to to like shoo people away uh, because he's he said like all I want is just sleep. Mm. I mean, just like this, you know, a very basic human need, and he wasn't getting it because these <laughs> these punks were just constantly trying to pick a fight with federal officers uh, in the name of anti-fascism. Right, right. Uh, and, and so it, it, it's and, and so that was one of the hard things with with covering. The, the riots and 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 then in the aftermath too because these were these were ordinary Americans who in, in virtually every case they had nothing to do with whatever was causing the riot in the first place and yet they were bearing the brunt of of this anger and and that's why just I I've, I'm I've become a real every, a lot of people you would think a lot of people would be against rioting but apparently not but for, for me personally <laughs> I I just I just don't like rioting mm. because I I have just seen the negative consequences of it and and then again and then the anger comes when I see again people with bigger platforms saying right. oh well it's not that big of a deal or it's just it's property there's insurance and just all this other nonsense but it and a lot of that a lot of people who say that are privileged with having a stable income especially during and then of course on top of everything was the covid lockdown right right and so the negative effects from the covid lockdowns was already pronounced for months and then even if you even if the business wasn't burned down if it was still ransacked i mean that's still thousands of dollars that they might not already have or they might have had, but they didn't because, well, you know, the government said, no, you can't have your open your business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of reminds me of like maybe what the day after would look like, right? Obviously, we saw a lot of this rioting happening at night, and then the days would be a little more peaceful. What did it look like as you were wandering around? I'm sure you did coverage of this, but were you wandering around the city streets just in the aftermath of a lot of these riots? It, it was um – it was weird because, like, sometimes it would just be like it, people would still be out and about and cleaning up, and, and people just looking at the damage and just still going about their daily lives. And it was kind of quiet in, mm. in, in some regards. And it was just kind of it was really the calm before the storm, and that was really pronounced in places like Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, but but for me, the one that really disturbed me the most was uh, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, which is about an hour northwest of of Kenosha, outside of Milwaukee, and. Th that riot happened because there was a 
even pre, pre-George Floyd, uh, a black officer shot a black 17-year-old who had fired a gun and was pointing the gun in the officer's direction, so he shot in self-defense. Right. Uh, and so the, the, the Milwaukee district attorney didn't charge uh, the black officer with any wrongdoing because it's like, well, he's justified. Well, because this was happening post-George Floyd, everyone, you know, there was a riot. And right, Surprise, surprise. So there was a, literally a caravan, a BLM caravan from Milwaukee where they started the protest. And made their way to Wauwatosa, and as soon as they entered the city limits, that's when they started attacking buildings. Started they they attacked people's homes, where people were at home at night. I mean, it was it was really bad in that in that regard. But I'd never been to Wauwatosa before, so and I had gotten there at night. Like I got there just as things started to right. unravel. And so the next morning, when I went to go out and cover the damage and see you know people do you know the rinse and repeat of people repairing and trying to get interviews with with all that, Wauwatosa is very similar to Wheaton, and where that it's a suburb. Mm-hmm. And when I was walking the street, like real, the, 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 these neighborhoods, I was just like shocked that you know I could I could have been back home in Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Like this literally could have been my hometown if if the circumstance if the circumstances just apparently happened just south of, just south of here. And that that was really jarring. Um, it, it, there were homes decorated for Thanksgiving and Halloween and just like all all this stuff. And yet, just the night prior, the people were going crazy because mm-hmm. of a justified police action. And that was. Really, kind of the start of being blackpilled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the sense of like, because I, I was thinking, I was starting to think that well, it's starting to get colder now. You'd think they and they don't like rioting when it's cold, but it was still going. Ha- it was still happening. Like we were mm-hmm. past the summer of love. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. were into this now fall and into like so it was like, is this ever going to to stop? And and it was really, I was I was getting really concerned about. Uh, with with the election because the election was just before that and how that was going to turn out and so I was I was just really worried about is there going to be not even just riots but is there going to be like a civil war of some kind or like an insurgency like I don't know and, and, and so obviously we we didn't have that because the election turned out differently and uh, and George uh, Derek Chauvin was found guilty but there was all these there was all these points where I was thinking that we we were going to just we were going to fall off a cliff and. We haven't done that, and you know we we've kind of pulled back from it a little bit, but we're in in such a worse spot than 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 we were in terms of like national unity than prior to, to twenty twenty. And uh, the re- part of the reason for the book is to, to talk about here are here's what happened in twenty twenty, and here's his aftermath. And if we continue down this path, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that this book is so timely, especially since we are still reflecting on the aftermath of those types of things. Are we seeing any data to suggest that the the American people are buying that media narrative, that these riots were isolated incidents over a sort of massive sea of peaceful protesting? Uh, a, a little bit. Uh, it, it's a little difficult bec- now because it, this is now all in the aftermath of January 6th, right? Yeah. And so it was really frustrating covering that because— Right away, as soon as people started going crazy on January 6th, the media was like, oh, yeah, this is a riot. They had no problem using the riot, but then they took a step further, right? They said they're using insurrection, yeah, and yeah. now we have people saying it's worse than 9-11 and Pearl Harbor and all these other things combined. And it's like, no, you, yeah. idiot, you idiot. It's, not, <laughs> it's a riot, yes, and it's wrong, yes, but it's not 9-11. Right, okay, right. But so so now now the, the media finally – like they, they, they just finally got the thing that they wanted for, for all of 2020, which was Trump supporters rioting. And, and, and so now they just you – know, even today, that's the only thing with Democrats heading into the midterms. That's the only thing that they have is just this, this is investigation. They have nothing else because everything else has just turned terrible under, under this administration. And so 
thankfully a lot of people see through the the the, the nonsense that the media was trying trying to sell them in 2020 right, right. but the, the January 6th riot has been used by the media to kind of retcon a lot of what happened uh, the year prior and and probably one of the my the best examples of that was actually it was shortly after January 6th it was the New York Times story uh, I referenced it in the book and there's a New York Times story about how oh uh, Republicans are what about it or like what about in January 6th with with the BLM riots uh, but <laughs> the the author of the piece wrote it as such as the uh, highlighting isolated incidences of property damage mm. hmm. we're talking about a minimum two billion dollars worth of damage uh, across the country over many months uh, in, in sometimes in the same cities multiple times like Portland uh, that's far from being just these, uh, you know, isolated examples of just property damage, and also people died. Mm. That's it. I mean, we had over. Was, I think. I mean, the official death toll is like puts it over twenty. But I mean, you kind of have to think of like you know who 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 died. You know, maybe as a in the kind of the aftermath weeks afterward. But it's just. It's just so aggravating again about where because Trump supporters rioted January for one day January sixth and all the other stuff doesn't matter anymore and mm-hmm. I knew and I, and I knew that, that and that's why I was kind of angry at uh, the Trump supporters on January sixth because I and that moment I knew like oh my gosh like they they just gave this to them on a silver platter and all the work I did prior to that on the national stage and national conversation because before they were trying to ignore it mm-hmm. now not only can they just like now they can say yes this happened maybe right but it doesn't matter because January 6th and it's just it's just there's just so much hypocrisy and just so much just like double standards with with everything and and again for me it just goes back to just rioting is just it's bad it's bad don't it, riot just don't riot and and you know it's 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 very, very, very frustrating. Sure, I've seen a lot of it. As we as we wrap here, I want to get your opinion on this. As the media is going to clearly be in the tank for these rioters on the left, it yeah. seems like we already saw this through the fiery but mostly peaceful sort of weird trying to whitewash it. That's always going to be a thing. How do we as conservatives respond to that effectively? Buy my book. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I say that, but you, you, I mean, now more than ever, it's really important to to support media and, and, and media companies like like Town Hall and, and others who who are actually going to be willing to actually just tell the tr- the basic truth about these things. And and it's really sad. And, I, and I'm not saying this to to like brag, but I've had people come up to me saying like, "Oh, you're a hero, and you're you're like you're so awesome." And and I, I like I appreciate it, but like I'm not a hero. I'm just a reporter. Uh, but but it speaks to just doing the bare minimum of what journalism used to be today is now all of a sudden this this kind of saint almost yeah, yeah. in people's eyes and, and that's and that's because the rest of the media has to base themselves just so and you know it's far from just the rise it's the Trump presidency and, and all the scandals and all this other stuff it, it, it happens in big and small ways so I mean it, it, people's faith understandably in the media, in the rest of the media is, is very very lost and 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 for some reason they the people here in in the DC bubble just think that they're the stupid you know they're the ones that are wrong and they're going to continue doing it um so but even even today i mean really it's just you you have to you have to support uh the news outlets and and now now it's not even just news outlet i mean people support people on substack i mean and there's a reason why those people are popular right, it's right. no longer it's no longer about the companies it's now more about the individual reporters because you literally now today unfortunately have to seek out these individual people who are willing to actually tell the truth about whatever topic sure. it is 
and 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 that if that's where the media is going to go, okay, I mean, I'll be fine <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I, I've you know I've worked really hard to make sure that what I report's been accurate, and if it's not, then correct it um, and and take responsibility for that. Thankfully, it hasn't happened too right, much right. because it's very simple when you cover a riot. It's just like, hey, here's, 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 here's a writer. Here, here, here's a writing, but. Um, when it extends to even just like something like I've been focusing on the southern border, the crisis, and, and doing that, there's independent people who, who mm-hmm. do that and are supported because, again, the, outside of Fox News, um, there's no like m- mega big companies that are really focusing on on telling the daily stories. They, mm-hmm. they, they pop up every once in a while and say, "Hey, okay, now, now here's here's a number or something." But right. so really, it's you. I, I know it's tough, but I mean, it, it, you have to support. You have, to, sure. you have to support the, the people who are actually going sure. out and doing the work. Well, if we want to support it, where can we purchase your book? Uh, uh, so Amazon, understandably, if you don't want to give it to Amazon, uh, you can also Barnes & Noble, uh, also I think Thrift Books, uh, I think. Uh, but uh, you can also go to my website, julioroses.com. Uh, there's some links uh, there. to. If, uh, it's also an uh, uh, audiobook version, an ebook version. Uh, if if you do buy the audio version, you'll hear my voice because I was the one that narrated it. I didn't want to just because I knew like it was it was completely new. And sure, I, but sure. It, it was a slog. It was a slog. But at the same time, it's, it's, well, this is my story. It's your story. You got it. Only makes sense uh, to do it now. If Morgan Freeman wanted to narrate it, then the we'll we'll, we'll keep Mr. Freeman in our in our minds here. <laughs> that was Julio Rosas, senior writer at Townhall.com and author of the new book, Fiery but Mostly Peaceful: The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. Julio, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you listen, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if you have not done so before, take just a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot to us and it helps us spread the word, get the word out to other listeners so that we can keep bringing you all the news that you love every day. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.